Our Father, we thank you so much again for this time we can spend in your word. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit might ultimately be the teacher here tonight. Uh, Lord, just override me and, and my humanness and, and Lord, my frailty and my fallenness. And, and Lord, just you magnify yourself tonight through your word. And Lord, just encourage us, we pray, and challenge us, we pray, through this story tonight that is so familiar to us. But hopefully we'll see something tonight that we can just tuck into our hearts and take with us throughout this Christmas year and, and this Christmas time and this year ahead that, that can be profitable to us and can draw us closer to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Before I actually read the story tonight, I've always thought it was very interesting that out of all the groups of people that God would send the angel to to announce the birth of the Messiah, it was to these shepherds on the hillside. Now, I shared with you last week that one of the reasons I thought that there could be a connection there is because I really believe that these shepherds that the angel appeared to to announce the birth of Christ were the shepherds that were in charge of watching over what was called the temple sheep. The sheep that would be used to sacrifice come springtime. And so they were very astute at looking over the sheep, at looking over the flock, and making sure that these sheep were without spot and without blemish, because the sheep had to pass that test in order to be worthy of sacrifice. And it's very interesting that then God would reveal to them the true lamb who would come, who would take away the sin of the world, who was the true lamb of God without spot and without blemish. It's also very interesting to me that in that culture and at that time, shepherds, for many different reasons, were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. In other words, their word wasn't looked at as very good. And so when a court case came up, a shepherd was not allowed to testify. And yet it was this group of people that God saying, no, I want them to be the first ones to testify. They're going to be the first group to tell people about the Messiah. I think that's very interesting. It's almost like God is saying, well, this might be how you view it, but I'm overriding what you think, and this is the group that I want. And it sort of reminds us how, again, we have to let God define who we are and what we become and not allow other people to define who we are and what we become. You know, though the shepherds could not give a voice in court or had a voice in court at that time, God was saying, I'm going to use you to tell the world about the birth of Jesus. And so very, very interesting. All right, just follow along in your Bibles as we get the flow here tonight. And I'm going to just pick it up in verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. <coughs> now, there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, listen carefully. For I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. Now here's the part we want to concentrate on tonight. Earth's response to heaven's revelation. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in the manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at the shepherds, or at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. Now one of the most important things I want us to take from this passage tonight is this. God expects a response from us every time he reveals something to us. Every time he speaks to us, every time he shares something with us, he expects an adequate response back. That could be another reason why God picked the shepherds. Because maybe God saw in the hearts of those shepherds on the hillside that night that way before they were on that hillside that night, they were anxiously awaiting the coming Messiah. They were anxiously looking for the redemption that was going to come through the Anointed One of God. They were expecting the Messiah to come. And they couldn't wait until God would actually come and be here on earth. And maybe it was because of what God saw in their heart that He went to them to share with them because He knew that unlike the religious leaders of Israel, who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, they knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah, and yet they could care less. They didn't even care to walk a few miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem even to check out if it was so. They didn't care. But God knew that the shepherds cared. And that with this news, they were going to do something about it. They were going to respond to it in a proper way. Now, how that holds such an important role in our lives is God's looking for that same type of response. And that's why I think this is such a practical and important message. Because God wants us to respond to His speaking to us through His Word, through His Spirit, through others, through prayer, through whatever, listening to God. God wants us to respond to Him just like the shepherds did. In a way that's adequate to the one who's speaking to us. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Hebrews. And one of the main points at the beginning of that book is that God, who in the Old Testament times spoke through prophets and all of that, and in many different ways, by many different avenues, now has spoken through His Son. The full and final revelation of God. Therefore, in chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, because God has spoken through His Son, let's pay even more attention to what has been said, and let's respond to it. Let's take heed to it, the writer of Hebrews says. <coughs> because of who is speaking to us. God is. 
And so it's not the mere words of a man, it's the words of God, and therefore we need to respond to it properly. So when the angels gave this great announcement, here are these shepherds on the side of this hill watching over their flocks, and the very first thing we see in response is this. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said, and I put beside that that what we see in that word is the shepherds began to speak excitedly. Now I was sharing with some folks who got here a little early tonight. If you would just read that in the English language, you wouldn't get excitement out of it. Now, let me say this. I am not one that believes that you and I cannot understand what God wants to say to us without knowing Greek and Hebrew. I think we can understand but I do think that there's a few times where knowing Greek or Hebrew or being having access to, to a little bit further insight into the original language is very helpful. And this is one of those times. Because without throwing you all into a tizzy, because I don't know what it means either, okay? So don't. This word said in the original language is what is called an inceptive, progressive, and perfect tense. <laughs> I failed English. I don't even know it. But what that means is this, the way I can understand it. The word said then is not a still photograph, if you will. It was a motion picture word. In other words, when he uses this word said, it wasn't just they said it and that was it. They said it. And they keep saying it to each other. And they couldn't shut up. They couldn't stop talking about it. It was like... And they were just... After the angels went back to heaven, these shepherds were just out there just... I mean, just talking and talking and talking. And they just couldn't stop talking. And you can find then in this word, in the tense of this word, an excitement and an enthusiasm. I mean, can you imagine? I mean... We're way beyond maybe where they were as far as we have the Bible and all these things. But, but can you imagine if God would have sent angels down to tell us something, how exciting that would be? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be calling people out. Guess what happened? I mean, that's what was happening here. They were excited. They were enthusiastic about the fact that God spoke to them through these angels, these mess, heavenly messengers. And I think the important point there, practically speaking to us, and how we can apply this spiritually to our lives is, how excited do we get when God shows us something out of His Word? How enthusiastic are we to go to God's Word and to, to see new things and to discover new things and say, God, teach me something new. And then when we see something new, does it excite us? Does it, does it motivate us to want to learn more? And, and, and you know, how excited are we? Now, again, it's not all about... It's not all about emotion. It's not all about excitement. It's not all about enthusiasm. But I think that one of the things God is looking for as far as a proper response to when he shows us things is how excited do we get about it? How enthusiastic do we get about it? How passionate do we get about it? You see this in the shepherds. As they began to say over and over constantly to one another, there was an excitement in their voice. There was an excitement in their conversation. God spoke to us. I mean, remember something. There has been 400 silent years that God did not speak from the end of the Old Testament, from Malachi chapter 3, verse 18, to this point in history, 
God had been silent. He had not spoken. And now all of a sudden, God is breaking forth, and He's speaking once again to His people. And He's saying that the Messiah that was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament is now here. Go and see Him. And the shepherds are like, and you can imagine too, they're probably looking at each other going, why us? <laughs> I mean, you know, thank you God, but why us? Why not the religious leaders in Israel? It, you know, why not the, the people who were looked upon by others as the religious elite? Isn't it very interesting that God didn't send the angels to the, to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and to the scribes and all of that? He sent the angels with this message to these lowly shepherds out there on the hillside. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. You know, because again, God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at all the outward stuff. So they were enthusiastic about it. We need to be enthusiastic about God speaking to us too. I mean, that's why to me, you know, just even on Sunday, I mean, when I get up on Sunday, one of the things is like, you know what? I'm excited to go to Cornerstone today because who knows what, how God is, what, what God's going to say to me today and how He's going to speak to my heart and what He's got for me. And I know that there have been Sundays where I haven't made it and then it was like somebody told me, oh man, you should have been here Sunday, man. God was doing this and I was like, oh man. And I realized, you know, we all can't be here all the time at everything that's going on and stuff, but boy, when we can be here. And then, and then to have that excitement to know God said something to me and he spoke to my heart. That was true of the shepherds. And then, the next thing, the Bible says they said to one another. So not only did the shepherds speak excitedly, but the shepherds spoke reciprocally. In other words, they shared the news. Which is important because, let's face it, when something good happens to us, what's one of the first things we want to do? We want to share it with somebody. You get a promotion at work, you just bought a new car, you got a new home, uh, you know, you got some unexpected money in the mail or something, I don't know, you know. Uh, you want to you want to share it with somebody. And that's what we see the shepherds doing. They didn't just keep it to themselves, but they began to get excited about it, and they began to share it with other people. One of the challenges, again, in my life is if God is sharing something with me, how motivated am I to want to share it with others? And that's part of what I like about having the mind. Because the things that God is teaching me and the things that God is showing me out of His Word, this is a vehicle for me to be able to share it with other people. Hey, guess what God's doing over here? You know, type of thing. We all should be like that. You know, we can get together as Christians and we can talk about the weather, we can talk about sports, we can talk about... But how about talking about Jesus? And what Jesus is doing in my life. And, and what God is showing me out of His Word. You know, a lot of times it's like our conversation is about everything, but what God's doing. <laughs> and the shepherds were showing us, but it's okay to talk about those things. It's not wrong. And there's certainly a time and place to talk about other things. But these guys were excited about what God was doing and what God was sharing and what God was doing in their life. And how God included them in what He was doing. And they wanted to share it with each other. I would hope that all of us would, would be excited about what God's sharing with us and would be willing to share it with others. That, that's really what it's all about, you know? We don't, we don't have to, you know, have some certain experience and go to Bible college or seminary or have been saved for so many years or something. Whatever God is doing in our life, we can share with somebody else. I mean, to the point where one of the greatest testimonies in all the Bible was this blind man that Jesus healed. 
And the religious leaders came up and said, well, can you tell us about all the inworkings and outworkings of all this? And he said, I can tell you this. Once I was blind, but now I see. That was his testimony. You know what? That was a powerful testimony. And there's not a one of us here tonight in this room that couldn't say the same thing. Once I was blind, but now I see. You know, we're, we're so worried about, well, man, you know, I, I can't maybe answer all their questions, and I don't have all the background, and I, you know what? All we need to do is tell people, once I was blind, but now I see. And that's what the shepherds, they were willing to get excited about what God shared with them, and they were willing to share it with others. And then third, I'm going to stop here in just a moment. Take some air, but I'm going to over and over questions and answers too. The next thing we see in the text is they say, let us. And implied there is that the shepherd spoke exhortationally. In other words, they not only wanted to share what God had said to them, but they wanted to include each other in on what they were going to do. And that's important too. In other words, there's many times, even in the Word of God, I think I... I think there's 114 places in the New Testament where God's Word says to us as believers, let us. It's basically what I call the salad passages of the Bible, the let us passages, you know? Where God is saying, let us. And what He's saying is, let's come alongside each other and let's encourage each other in a course of action. That's, that's exhortation, that's encouragement. In other words, maybe you alone would not have left the sheep that night on the hillside and went to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. But they're saying, let's come on, let's do it. Because maybe maybe there was a couple of them on the hillside who were saying, well, I'd, I'd like to do that, but we've got these sheep here, you know, and we're supposed to be faithful to our to our sheep, and who's going to take care of our sheep if we all leave? And I'm going to get to that in a moment, but the idea is maybe all it took was one or two of them to say, come on, let's go. If God wants us to go... He'll take care of the sheep. <laughs> you know? Let's not worry about the sheep. Now, it's not that they were being unfit, but they understood it's sort of first priority first. God wants us to, to go and see this that He's revealed to us. So if He wants us to go, He'll take care of the sheep. Let's go. And maybe it only took a couple of them to say, let's do it. And the rest of them said, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. And that's the way it is in our lives. You know, sometimes all it takes is another believer to come alongside of us and say, hey, let's start meeting once a week and praying together. Or let's start getting together and, and having a time of devotion together. Let's go visit together. Or let's, let's go to a conference together. You know, or let's do exhortation. The Bible says it's so important that actually we should be doing it every day. Hebrews 3.13 says, Let us exhort one another daily. Most of the time we don't even see each other daily, right? But the Bible says the reason why we should be exhorting each other daily is because we need it daily. You know, that's why if, if you're only getting exhorted by other believers once a week, it doesn't cut it. It doesn't. It's hard. When you feel like you're out there all alone, you know, paddling the boat by yourself for a whole week, and the only time you get exhorted by other believers is maybe on a Sunday, well, that's tough to go from week to week with no exhortation except once in a week, especially when the Bible says we need exhortation. And that's why churches like Cornerstone have hit the nail on the head with things like small groups and 
Tuesday Night Minds and, and you know, all these other ministries, men's ministries and women's ministries and youth ministry stuff because they understand that we need to be together as much as we possibly can so that we can exhort each other. We need that person to come alongside and say, let's do it, come on. Maybe you were thinking about doing it. Maybe you were dreaming about doing it. Maybe you set a goal, but you just need that other Christian to come alongside of you and say, let's go for it. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's you. You're just waiting for that other Christian to come alongside. Or maybe God is speaking to you tonight and saying, you know of somebody else in your life that if you just rubbed up against them a little bit and just gave them just a little push and a little encouragement, you guys could take off in a certain direction. God's saying, why don't you do it? Come on, let's do it. Because you see, this message isn't just for the rest of this year, which is very short, just a couple weeks left in 2005. This is a message that I want all of us to carry over into 2006 because we've got a whole year coming where God is going to be speaking to us and sharing news with us and sharing insights out of his word with us. And he wants us to properly respond in a way of excitement and to share what we're doing and and to speak exhortationally. And then one more and then I'll stop. Let us go and see. The shepherds acted purposefully. God's word will always reorient or redirect our lives. Always. That's why I've always said there's always going to be tweaking going on. When God speaks to me, there's always going to be something a little adjustment here, a little adjustment there. And what happened is, here's these shepherds. They're on the hillside. They're being faithful shepherds. They're watching their flock by night. And the angels burst on the scene and say, Your Messiah is being born in Bethlehem. And they say, You know what? Because of that, we're going to go and see. They weren't planning on going to Bethlehem before that night. But when God broke through and shared with them that message, guess what? We've got a new purpose now. We've got a new direction. We're going to Bethlehem. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. When God speaks to us, He wants us to take what He's saying to us, and He wants us to set some goals and to have a purpose. For He, he doesn't just want us to take it in like a spiritual sponge and just keep growing, growing, and growing, and growing as a sponge. He wants us to take it in and not only share it with other people, but He wants us to reorient and redirect our lives based upon what He's telling us. And so God may want you to you know, not necessarily go in a radically different direction, he maybe not doesn't want you to turn your life completely around and go and totally out, but maybe like you're going down this road and he just wants you to maybe consider going just a little bit left there and trying that out or, you know, whatever. Um, one of the opportunities that I'm praying about this year, and I appreciate you being in prayer for me, is I, I think I'm going to have an opportunity to go to India and share with the folks in India uh, for a couple weeks. Uh, the Lord. And, uh, you know, oh God, I don't know, you know. India? Are you sure it's not Indiana? You know, I'd be more comfortable in Indiana than India. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But, but God has to redirect our lives. And that's what we see here. God's Word's always going to do that. You know, as a counselor, too, one of the biggest causes of depression in people is a lack of purpose. It really is. Uh, I just dealt with a young man this past week, 27 years old, um, suicidal, deep depression. 
And one of the reasons he's found himself there is because at this point in his life, he has no purpose. He doesn't know why he's here, what he's supposed to be doing, or anything. He has no purpose. And I find that all the time. You see, with purpose comes a passion, comes a, a goal, comes, this is why I'm here. But when people begin to drift into a purposeless existence, it can very easily lead to a state of depression, because it's like, I don't know why I get up and go to work every day. I, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. God wants to give, God has a purpose for our lives. And that doesn't have to be the same purpose all our lives, but but God's word and God speaking to us is going to open up those purposes and going to give us purpose for living. Even if it's just certain individuals that God is laying on our hearts to say, hey, you know, they need some encouragement or exhortation. Why don't you begin to share with them? Begin to get excited about what I'm sharing with you. Those types of things. God's word gives us purpose. God's spirit gives us purpose. God gives us purpose. And that's what we see in the shepherds. Let's go and see. They had a new purpose for why they were there. And they followed that purpose. All right, before we go on, comments, questions. I'm sorry, I do get a little excited about this. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I, I tell folks I'm back to Costal. All right. The shepherds, the Bible says, didn't just, okay, let's go to the, or they didn't call a committee meeting and say, okay, now, God wants us to go to Bethlehem, now, how should we go, and what route should we take, and all, now, the Bible says, man, they just took off and they hurried, they, they went as quickly as possible, they went immediately, they did not procrastinate. You know, we all sometimes, you know, we might even know God wants us to do something. It's like, well, I know the Lord, but I'm going to put that off. Guess what? <laughs> a lot of times when we put it off, we end up not doing it at all. Or then the prime time sort of passes by whenever that would have really been the right time to do it, and then it sort of loses its own. Well, the shepherd didn't do that. God gave them the message. Boom, they were right on. They responded immediately. That's why I tell people, you know, I encourage you. When God speaks to you out of his word during the day, whether it's your personal devotions or on a Sunday when Lynn or Ron is speaking or, or in the mine on Tuesday night or in your small group or something like that, act on it and act on it quickly. Because if we don't, we usually end up not acting on it at all. You know, it's one of those things, well, I'll get to that. And it seems like it never happens. You know, in the book of James, James uses a great illustration about this. He says, we need to be like a person who goes to the mirror. And he uses the, the mirror as an illustration of God's word. And he says, when we go to the mirror, we need to stay at the mirror and correct the things that the mirror is telling us we need to correct before we ever leave the mirror. Don't leave the mirror without getting whatever God is saying to you to get corrected before you leave the mirror. Because once you leave the mirror, then it's like you, you forget about it, out of sight, out of mind. It's a great way of looking at it. It'd be like if I went to the mirror and in the morning and saw my hair was just totally out of place. You know? It's like, boy, that, that just totally out of place. And I didn't do anything about it. I just went out the door and 
left, and then, of course, rolled my window down, and it just blew my hair all over the place. And by the time I got to the office, they were like looking at me like, man, get the hair out of your eyes. Yeah, that type of thing. And, uh, but the Bible says, no, if, if, if I go to the mirror and God's Word has said to me, hey, you know, uh, you need to take care of that, you know? It's like, oh, okay, you know, I, I do. I need to take care of that. And then once you've taken care of that for that day, if that's what God, that's what He wants you to take care of, then step away from there. You know, and the next time you go, go back to that mirror. Because again, God's word is compared to a mirror because it really does. It, it really helps us to see ourselves for what we really are, and that's good and bad. I mean, that's good and bad because a lot of times we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, and we need to. But sometimes too, there's some things again that need tweaking and correcting. You know, and 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 my character, or whatever, and. and God's Word's going to show me those things, and I've got to be willing to, to do what God is telling me to do in order to get those things taken care of. It's sort of like going in for a tune-up. You know, cars need a tune-up. Well, guess what? We need a spiritual tune-up. We need to pull ourselves in and get that oil lube and filter, spiritually speaking, okay? They acted immediately. We need to do that as well. Then the Bible says, they didn't just go to... It wasn't like the... The Magi, the wise men, where there was this star right over where Jesus was. And so the shepherds just skipped into town and went right to the place where the manger was. No, the Bible says they had to search. They had to find. In other words, the implication in that word is it wasn't just the first couple houses or places they went. They had to ask. They had to be a little diligent about it before they found Jesus, the baby Jesus, in the manger with his mom and his dad. So that reminds us that the shepherds acted searchingly. You know, it wasn't just two that they went there and God told us to go to Bethlehem. Okay, well we've hit a couple houses or a couple inns and we can't find it, so we're going back. I think those shepherds were determined that if we have to uncover every nook and cranny in Bethlehem, we're going to stay here until we see the Messiah. That was their attitude. You know what? That needs to be our attitude as well. When we come to the Word of God and we want God to speak to us and show us things, a lot of times it's not just going to leap off the page and, you know, like, I open up my Bible and, whoa, okay, you know, it doesn't happen that way. I'll share with you that there's times when I'm preparing for, say, the mind that I have to spend maybe two hours just looking at one particular verse before it's like the light bulb could go on. Now, with you, it would be a lot less time. With me, God's a little, you know. I tell I tell people, God has to sometimes take out his heavenly two-by-four and wham! Jeff, you're not getting it. You know, oh, okay, now I see that. Okay? But I have to be willing to search and to dig. In the book of Proverbs, this is great encouragement here. The book of Proverbs says that God's wisdom is out there for any of us. But what's the book of Proverbs say? We've got to search for it, like buried treasure. Well, that sort of incorporates the whole mind thing, doesn't it? Even the mind, the, the whole idea of the mind. You know, guys didn't go into the mine and all oh, the gold just dropped off the side of the mine or the copper or whatever. They had to dig for it. They had to search for it. They had to spend some time digging. And God is saying, you know, if you really want to get the most out of this book, you and I have to be willing to search a little bit and dig a little bit and put forth some effort. 
guys are showing that by even being here on Tuesday night. Because again, it would be so easy for you after your day to just stay home and relax for a couple hours on Tuesday night. But you come here, and I think by you making that effort, hopefully, you know, you're going to be encouraged in the Word of God. And and you're willing to, to do a little digging and searching and, and mining, if you will, after the truth that God had there. Because again, a lot of times, just like with this Word, it's not just on the surface. It's something that you have to dig a little bit for before it's like, Okay, that's what that is. Okay, so that's where that comes from. Now again, I I realize most of the time you don't need to even dig that far. But but it really really does help to have that that drive to want to dig and search and and cross-reference and get out of concordance and have a Bible. You know, there's just a few Bible tools that everybody needs to have a really good Bible study. You need a good concordance, whether you have one in the back of your Bible or you buy one alongside. Everybody needs a good Bible dictionary. And then it it also helps to have uh, either a good study Bible or something like that. You know, to where you just have a few little things there that can help you out. You know, it is. It's really good. And that's really all you need. But if you use those tools the way they're intended to be used, you can get a lot more out of your Bible study. And that comes from that idea of searching, too. God God laid it out there, but it also takes some effort on our part to get the most of it out. Yeah. Uh, God is uh, so so good in just revealing what we need to know at a particular time. And, uh, you know, we can find ourselves going over something that we've been over before. And, uh, uh, but at a new time, with new eyes, and new mind, there could be something there, so it's probably good not to just, just because we've been here before, don't skip over it too quickly, but see what God's got first today. Yeah, that's exactly right, Ron, because again, hopefully we're all growing. So even like there, if I studied Philippians in 2005, it wouldn't hurt me to read and do a little bit of study in Philippians in 2006, because hopefully I've grown, and I'm going to see some things in Philippians in 2006 that I didn't see in 2005. I mean, that's true of the whole Bible. That's why it's always good to go back and repeat our studies and repeat going back and reading things over again. Because as we grow in Christ and as we learn more of God's Word and as we see how it all connects, we're going to see things that we didn't see before. And that's, again, hopefully then, that will set into our lives an excitement. It's like, ah, I didn't see that before. That, oh, and then, oh, that connects with that. And, oh, that's cool. And then, and then we call somebody up and say, hey, did you ever see that before? I never saw that before. And then it's like, why don't we get together and maybe share some scriptures every once in a while? And then maybe it even opens up a whole new purpose, a whole new ministry for us. Who knows how God can work? Yeah, anybody else? Good. Then you'll notice the next one. When they saw him, and that speaks about the fact that the shepherds acted insightfully, meaning that They were getting ready to share with others. But they did not share until they got that insight. They weren't just going to share what the angels told them. They actually wanted to go and actually see the Messiah laying in the manger, the bread of God in the feeding trough in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and see him there. And then they were going to be able to firsthand go and relate 
what they had seen through the insight that God had given them. Because again, it wasn't enough in God's mind just to send the angels there and say, hey, by the way, you've got a Messiah who's born in Bethlehem. God wanted them to go and see their Messiah with their eyeballs. Now, you know, I would have loved to have been one of those shepherds, because I, I would love to say at this point that I have seen Jesus with my eyes, but I haven't. But the neat thing is, all of us who know Jesus, guess what, we're going to see him one day. But I do like what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, well, Thomas, you're blessed because you have seen and believed, but the people who haven't seen and believed, they even have an extra special blessing. And I think, yeah, that's true of all of us here, because I've never seen Jesus with my physical eyes, but I know him. And I love him, even though I've never seen him. That's what Peter said. But we can still act insightfully because I don't need to see Jesus, first of all, to know he is. And I have his word. And I, I can then share the insights that God is giving me from his word with others. Which leads us to this next one. They related what they had been told. They were the very first evangelists of the good news that the Messiah has come. And I think that's important again, which sort of, it sort of goes back to, to this and this, in that when God shares something with us, he, he wants us to share it with others. He doesn't just want us to keep it to ourselves. Whatever God is doing in our lives, he, he wants us to, to be excited enough to, to call other people alongside and, and say, hey, and that's especially true with those who don't even know Jesus yet. He wants us, who know Jesus, to do like the shepherds and to go out and say, Hey, the Messiah's come. He's, he's been here. He's, he's been born. He was, he was born a couple thousand years ago. And he loves you. and He, he came to this earth to, to share himself with you. And he, he died on the cross for you. He loves you that much. And he's offering you forgiveness. And God wants us to relate the insight that we have from knowing God to others who do not know Him. And I think that's so neat that the shepherds, again, the ones who would have never been able to give a testimony in a court of law in that time, were the very first ones that God picked out to say, you know what? Go. Take the message to these people. I don't care what they think about you. Just care about what I think about you type of thing. Because God looks at the heart. And I think that is just so, so neat. And hopefully that will be an encouragement to you as well. I'll do one more, and then before I get to Mary, I'll stop in case any of you have any comments or questions. You'll notice that those who heard the shepherds were astonished, or amazed could be another word, or filled with wonder. And I think that's important too. When we hear what God has done or is doing, or when we see what God has done and is doing, there should be filling within our hearts a sense of awe and wonder and amazement. It's like, wow, God. You know? I mean, even on Sunday, just to be here and to see the way God was moving in people's lives, I just, I was just, wow, God, you're great. You're just great. Sometimes, too, out, for those of you, I live out in Gold Canyon, way out there at the base of the Superstition Mountain. And, it's very dark out there. But there's no lights out there at all. We like it that way. Except you can't see the coyotes until you're right about on them. You know, I almost did a couple of them out there. They come running down the street and stuff. 
the neat thing is to be able to go out in that darkness and to look up at that sky at night and just see stars that I have never seen before. I mean, back east, I could go out at night and I could look up in the sky, but there was always so much light that it sort of obscured the total night sky. Well, out here, I can go outside my house and I can look up at that sky and I can just see the heavens just filled. And it just, I just stand there sometimes and all I can do is just go, and I think that's okay. I think there's times where, you know, God is so big, and God is so great, and God is so awesome, and He's doing such magnificent things. And, and for these shepherds to think, God came, and, and He came to us to tell us about it, and He came as a baby, and I'm sure they were just like, wow. And then when they relayed that to others, people were like, wow, you know. It's almost like we can't put it into words sometimes. And we really can't. We just have to say, oh God, it's beyond human words. In fact, the message on Christmas Day that I'm sharing here is when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, thanks be unto God for his indescribable or unspeakable gift, that word literally means that there's no words in the human language to be able to express what we feel about that. When you begin to think about what Jesus did for us, you really can't express it. It's just like, wow, God, thank you. You know, <clears throat> it's beyond human words. And that's what we see here. And that's what God wants us to see. That when, when He's doing things in our lives and we see Him working in other people's lives, we see Him working in the life of our church, we see Him working all over the world and we hear about things and it's just like, wow, God, you, you're just awesome. You're just great. And we don't even try to put it into words. We just sort of sit there in our awe and wonder and just go, wow, thank you. And just soak it all in. Maybe you've had moments like that. I, I know I have, and I just they're just neat God moments, you know? Yes. You know, I think one of the, the first experiences of that, and, and, and really to get that kind of awe and wonder, they have a, on the Discovery Channel now, they have the um, actual sperm entering an egg. After 500,000 sperm attempt to enter the egg, one gets in, and they show you from that moment the entire process of the baby forming, the eyelids, everything, every wow. month. And you just sit yeah. there and you go, oh my God. Yeah, that's <laughs> and you true. just can't believe that, that from those two cells, a, a thinking, living human being yeah. comes out. You know? and that's true. brings it home. I mean, it's yeah. awesome. Now, that's a good illustration, because I remember the first time I started to see all that, how, you know, you could see pictures of this little life, you know, and and you're like, it was just the wow mode. I was like, wow, God, yeah. And now it's so, I mean, they're actually showing it in the womb. Yeah. Every day wow. it's changing and maturing. It's just amazing. Yeah, it, it does. It, it just blows you away. Yeah. I, I had another one of those God moments when my children were born, and I was in there going, Wow, God. <laughs> and saying, thank you, God, that I'm not, you know, wasn't having to do that myself. <laughs> wow, God, you know. <laughs> my wife was going, yeah, right. <laughs> but there are those moments in our life where God just does such amazing things that we, we, we really can't put it over. We just sit back and say, wow, God, we just, we just amazing. And that's what we see here. That's what we see here. Yeah. Let's look at Mary, because Mary certainly is an interesting character, and she is right at the center of this whole thing, isn't she? Two things the Bible says that Mary did. The first thing is they use the word treasured. She treasured these things. 
It's a very interesting word. It's actually a military word. It's a word that means to guard very carefully and very safely. So it sort of reminds us that, that Mary acted very cherishingly. In other words, it was one of those moments that Mary knew in her life, you know what? This, this is one of those moments that I need to definitely store up there and, and keep. This isn't just one of those moments in my life that's going to pass me by. It's like the moments in our lives where there's certain moments in our life where we knew exactly where we were and what we were doing because that moment was just so profound. For me, even though I was a very little child, I mean very little child, I can remember the very first actually memory that I have as a child was when President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas in the early 60s. That was the first sort of moment. And then, you know, a little bit later, of course, you had Robert Kennedy's assassination. You had Martin Luther King's assassination. And towards the end of that decade, landing on the moon in 1969, July 20th, that was like just one of those moments. Boy, I just, you know, and then, of course, you know, you come through your life, and whether it's the birth of your children or being married or whatever, there's certain days or certain times the day that you accepted Christ as your Savior, the day you were baptized, or whatever. You know, there's certain times where it's like you, bad things, like 9-11. I mean, you'll know where you were and what was happening that day. There's certain times. That's what this means. That to Mary, she knew this was a day and a time in her life that she was going to lock away and she was going to carefully guard because she knew this was a very special thing that was going on here in a very special time, and she wanted to guard that and never lose what was happening there. You know, for a lot of us, too, the, the sad thing is that God has maybe done special things in our lives, and, and we say, you know, I never want to lose that, but over time, it seems like we sort of lose it, you know? Uh, we need to be careful of that, because like, I'm reminded of this as I'm studying the book of Revelation, that one of the things that God says to the church at Ephesus is, you know what, guys? You left your first love. You didn't lose your first love. You left your first love. You, your, your passion, your excitement, your, your love for me isn't what it used to be. You, you've just sort of, you know, your love has grown cold and mechanical. You're just going through the motions, you know. That can be true of any relationship. That can be true with the big things that God has done in our life. And so one of the things here I think that Mary is doing by, by the Bible using this word treasure is she's saying, I, I never want to lose this. I never want to lose the impact of this. I, I never want to forget what this was like and that, that God chose me to be the mother of the Messiah. That God chose me to be a part of all this and to witness this. I mean... How unreal is that? Yes. I just asked, a couple of weeks ago on, um, like on ABC, they had the show about the Pope, Pope John Paul II in his life. And whenever they showed him praying, he was praying to the Holy Mother. Right. He wasn't praying in Jesus' name, he was praying to the Holy Mother. Right. Where is that, I mean, where is that coming from? And, and Okay, good question. And here's a church that's based on... Right. The, the Catholic Church, back... Boy, I'm going to test my Catholic church history here. I believe it was Pope Pius VI who issued an edict about what is called today as the Immaculate Conception. And what that is, is it goes backwards from the doctrine of the virgin birth. In other words, 
We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus was born, virgin born, because he was the sinless Son of God. What the Catholic Church did then, especially Pope Pius VI, is trace that back a step further to Mary, the mother, and said, well, if Jesus was born sinless, then that also means that Mary had to be sinless. And that's where they have the doctrine of what's called the Immaculate Conception, where the mother of Jesus had to be sinless in order for the son to be sinless. But we believe that the Bible clearly teaches that Mary believed that she was not sinless. In fact, I'll just take a minute because I think this is important. If you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, real quick, to Matthew's Gospel chapter... I'll find it here in a minute. What's called Mary's Magnificent. Okay. Mary's praise. Where is that? Is that in Matthew or is it in Luke? Maybe it is in Luke. Let me go back. Is it in Luke? Chapter 1. Thank you. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. It's back in Luke. Chapter 1, in verse 46 and 47, the very first two verses of her praise to God, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God, my Savior. Now, if she's sinless, she doesn't need a Savior. She's not sinless. She recognizes and acknowledges that Jesus needed to be her Savior personally, just as he is everybody's Savior. She never claimed to be sinless. Again, that was a doctrine that was born in there, and uh, that's where that comes from. Didn't it mean that to be synonymous with the sense that you had no man did they really mean sinless, sinless, as opposed to... Born without original sin. Yeah. Yeah, if you read Pope Pius, I think it's Pope Pius VI, uh, papers on that. Yeah, they, they believe that she was absolutely sinless, and that's why they will pray to the Holy Mother, and they call her the Holy Mother. Holy means without, without sin. So... <clears throat> Everybody born since Adam and Eve was born of the burden of the, the original sin. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why it's important that we too believe that one of the cardinal doctrines of our faith is the virgin birth. That's why Jesus had to be born virgin. Because if he was born the normal human way, the sin nature of his parents would have been passed down to him as it is for all of us. You see. That's why, if you even get into a little bit of a philosophical discussion, is why are people sinners? You know, why is why are babies? You know, why do you have to teach babies to do right, and you don't have to teach them to do? You, know, you don't have to teach your son or daughter to slip their finger in the cookie jar when no one. They just do that naturally. You know, you don't have to teach children to do wrong. 
Because that's what the Bible teaches. We're born that way. Yeah. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's part of what uh, Pastor Lynn is really going to be focusing on for the Christmas Eve services. And why you notice the Christmas Eve service is called Rescue. Because he really wants to emphasize, you know, okay, we celebrate a Savior's come. But we need to also then acknowledge that I need a Savior. In other words... For, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, a Savior's come. Well, big deal, you know. They need to first recognize that they even need a Savior before the significance of the Savior coming really makes a big deal in their life. Okay, so let me just clear this up for a second. As far as the Catholic faith, you're saying that Mary, the way that the church teaches it, was sinless from birth herself. Yes. Okay. So And, and I think they've got that wrong. Okay. Yeah. So we're saying the way we're interpreting this is that she, from this perspective, needed salvation in a exactly. city just like everybody else. Yeah. 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 Good stuff, though. Then you'll also notice that the Bible says that she pondered these things, which means she acted reflectively. And what the word pondered means is that she meditated on these things over and over and over again. Not only did she sort of stash it away and guard it and know that this was a really neat, special time that she never wanted to lose. But then, she rolled this over. And, and the word also, literally, I think this is really interesting, is a word that's used to speak of putting a puzzle together. And it's almost like throughout her life and her mind, she was like, oh, oh, okay. And then throughout her life, all these pieces of the puzzle would start to come together a little bit more clearly as she pondered all these things. You know, it's very interesting to me that, and again, this is, this is generalizing, but for the most part, you know, ladies tend to be a little bit more on the emotional side of things. Okay? A little bit, okay? One of the, one of the interesting things here... And again, that's just a generalization. That doesn't mean that that always holds true. Is that you, one, of, one of the things I think that we also see maybe through, in Mary's personality even, is that Mary was actually more of a, I don't want to say a thinker, but she didn't really necessarily deal with things as emotionally as maybe a lot of other ladies in her day did. She dealt with them more on a cerebral level than she did a heart level. And you see that through these two words of treasured and pondered. I've always thought that was interesting about Mary. Now, I'm sure Mary was excited, you know. But, but it's very interesting that the Bible never s sort of lets us get a glimpse into the, the emotional side of Mary as far as how she reacted to all this. In fact, as Ron pointed out Sunday, when she went to Elizabeth and everything, it was the babies who were leaping in the womb. It wasn't Mary and Elizabeth who were leaping up and down. First of all, that would probably be hard. But anyway, um, so she she really was a thinker, and she was thinking through these things and really dealing with these things in her mind, okay? And then I love these last two, and then we'll wrap it up. We come back to the shepherds where the Bible says that they returned, which speaks to the fact that they acted faithfully. I mean, remember, by faith, they left their sheep on the hillside. Because by faith, they left and went to Bethlehem trusting that God was going to take care of their sheep while they were gone. And that their sheep were going to be there when they got back. Because you can imagine the trouble that they would have been in 
had they been responsible for this whole flock of sheep, and they go to Bethlehem, and they come back, and there's the sheep gone, and they go to these people that they're responsible for these sheep for, they oh, well, you know, these angels came, and they were singing all these songs, and they told them to go to Bethlehem, and they're going, yeah, right, you're fired, you're going to have to get another job besides the shepherd, you know. They acted faithfully. They returned back to their sheep. But here's the key. I believe with all my heart that they returned changed. I believe that after what they had experienced, they were better husbands, better fathers, better sons, better shepherds, better everything. I think that they, as they returned, were different. Than when this all started. And that's that's what God wants to do in our lives. Whatever He's speaking to us about and sharing with us about, He wants it to ultimately change who we are, to make us more like Christ, to make us different than when we first approached that truth. You know? It's not just again some intellectual exercise that we just stuff it in our brains, but he wants it to affect our life. And I really believe that when these shepherds return, that I believe that their wives and their children and their brothers and sisters and whatever, and maybe even their employer or whatever, could probably see that God's done something with you. You're, you're not the same as you were the night before when you were watching. And that's what God wants to do with us too. He wants to create changes in our life that other people can see, wow, something different about him. Yeah, God's working in my life. He's making me all that he wants me to be and all that he created me to be. And then the final thing we see is they, they return glorifying and praising. And so we see that the shepherds acted very worshipfully. I, again, I, I try to put myself in their place that after all that they had been through, just how appreciative they must have been <clears throat> when they began to think that God, you could have you could have sent those angels to anybody in the world. You could have sent those angels to any group in the world, but you sent those angels to us on that hillside. You allowed us to be part of the first Christmas. What do we say to that? Well, the Bible says they just, I believe, continually throughout their life glorified and praised God for the fact that He let them in on what he was doing. Now here's the thing. God wants to let you in on what he's doing too. But you know what? He also wants to see in us a proper response. The kind of response to, to his revelation that these shepherds and, and Mary and, and the crowd gave when he came and he shared with them the Messiah. He wants us to get excited. He wants us to share. He wants us to exhort others. He wants us to have a purpose. To act immediately, searchingly, insightfully, evangelistically. To be amazed, to cherish, to reflect, to be faithful, and to be worshipful about the things that he's doing in our lives and sharing with us. So I hope that this message has been an encouragement, but also a challenge to all of us as we go through this Christmas season. That maybe as Christmas 2005 approaches, that we'll even look at this Christmas, this year, just a little bit differently than we've looked at all the Christmases before because of maybe something God is doing in my heart and in my life and in my mind. And then, as 
we approach a brand new year, a clean slate, a whole new year ahead of us. We can put 2005 behind us. Say, okay, God, 2006 is out there. Wow, what possibilities, what potential for me, and what potential for us. But you know what? It all comes back to how we respond. Remember, Jesus was always saying to the crowds that were listening to him, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he wasn't saying, open up your ears and take the wax out or clean your ears out and physically hear me. He was saying, let it sink down and respond as God would have you to respond to what I'm telling you. Take it in and really let it hit you. And that's what God wants to see in all of our lives. And so I hope that this Christmas may be the most special Christmas you've ever had. And that this new year may be the best year with God you've ever had. And it all starts with how we respond to Him and His Word and His working in our life. Guys, I have so enjoyed sharing God's Word with you this last couple months, and I'm looking forward to next year and getting into the book of Revelation. I had someone ask me the other day, and I'll close in just a minute. He said, now this isn't going to be dark and, and scary. <laughs> I said, no. I said, first of all, if you knew me, I said, I am not doom and gloom. I said, the book of Revelation doesn't have to be that way. If, it, if, if you're looking at it that way, then I, I encourage them. I said, I hope you'll come. Because I said, I think you'll leave that study far from doom and gloom when we get through the book of Revelation. So you guys have a great Christmas. And uh, again, I, I just pray that God would just give you guys a great Christmas and a great holiday. Yes, I'm saying Merry Christmas, and I'm okay. Yes. I'm not going to say Happy Holidays. All right, let's close with prayer. Father, again, we just thank you so much for your Son and, and Lord, for your Word and, and for you revealing all that you have revealed to us. Father, we acknowledge that um, there's a lot that we would like to know that you haven't revealed to us. But we also know that the things that we really need to know are the things that you've given to us and that we need to take to heart. And so, Father, I pray tonight that as we reflect upon the way the shepherds especially reacted to, to this news from heaven, that, Father, we would try to be more like them in that way. That we would properly respond to the way you're working and speaking to us in our lives. And Father, just may this be just such a great Christmas season. A season where we cherish the Lord's coming more than we ever have. And where we appreciate Jesus in our lives more than we ever have. And where we appreciate our relationship with Him more than we ever have. And where we look forward to this new year with such anticipation and excitement that we just can't wait to see what you're going to do. And Father, we thank you so much again for these folks and for their faithfulness throughout these last couple of months since September. And Lord, all that you've taught us and, and encouraged us. And we just pray you'll continue to do so. Go with us these next three weeks that we're not together and just 
be with us all and keep us safe and bring us back, Lord willing, on January the 10th to once again just dig into your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.